Hey everyone, welcome to episode 252 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Well hey Chris. How's it going? Pretty good. I saw you this weekend. Yeah, Saturday. multiple times. Well, yeah, multiple times. And Sunday too. Wow, you're right. Wow, this is a very CCR-filled weekend for me. It's a magic-filled weekend for us. Modern-filled. We really kind of did it all this weekend. Yeah, I got to play in a RCQ. That's what they're called. Yes. And then commentate SCG Syracuse, like the the first half of day two. Yeah, and that was super fun. I mean, always love doing commentary. Really appreciate any opportunity to do that. And so getting to do that on Honorog stream was very cool and got to watch some some solid modern gameplay and call it and hang out with chat and yeah just a really good time overall yeah i i love doing commentary you know actually i think i prefer doing like the first day of commentary especially the first few rounds mm-hmm. because the when you get into day two you're the place starts getting a lot more polished the, the decks are better but in day one it's just you know a free for all yes and i kind of love it like you don't really know what you're gonna see you don't know what plays people are gonna make at random it's like pretty nice yeah i mean we saw not not the most questionable plays but you know not everything was perfectly done in in the games we saw and i guess the decks that we saw were pretty established things we didn't see anything way out of left field although we did see e-tron but that one also went like undefeated in the swiss so you know that's a thing that happened in this tournament Specifically Eldrazi Tron, none of that Equestrian Tron that's running around. No, I'm not confident in the Equestrian Tron builds that I've seen. I'm not sure that they have what it takes to compete in modern. I mean, they really need a Crested Sunmare. Not a ton of other horse synergies around. No, I think it's just that one. I think There might is. be one in Jumpstart for some reason. I, I don't know if it looks <laughs> too deeply into that pool. But you can't play those in modern anyway. So. Right. So the horse deck will have to wait for a printing or two before it's really competitive in modern. A horse temple. Like a staple. Yes. I mean, that's all it took for Eldrazi, really. I mean, I guess it took the Eldrazi, right? It took the cheap Eldrazi, the cheap and we Eldrazi. already had the temple in the eye, yeah. The eye is nuts. Once you print Eldrazi, it costs less than 10 mana. Yes, that's that's fair. I mean, should we jump right into it? Should we start with the SEG Syracuse results? Or do we want to talk about our RCQ and just like what we saw what we played and what we saw and then we can kind of go into how the weekend played out maybe that makes the most sense to do yeah sure we can do the rcq first so uh, we both played this decks we said we were going to play last week mm-hmm. so you played living end and i played the glimpse deck yes living end was good for me it was kind of a weird tournament we ended up with a bunch of unintentional draws throughout the course of the tournament so including you know i i managed to secure an unintentional draw through no one's fault but my own was three one and one going into the last round of swiss and without actually a ton of confidence that winning my match would put me into the top eight but it ended up not mattering because i lost that match anyways so got to dodge that tiebreaker sweat for top eight the fun part about our top eight was that there was only one person with the record of five and one mm-hmm. in the whole top eight. Uh, that was Collins. Yes. Everyone else had a draw. Uh, uh, in the case of me and Alan, we were unintentional draws because we both five owed. And everyone else was four, one, and one. There's like a huge list of four, one, and ones. Yep. It was pretty wild. I mean, maybe, I, I think some amount of 
like, yeah, obviously Yori on four color is partially to blame, but also just some amount of like the crowded tournament hall and stuff, like maybe lowered some people's focus and made it harder to play quickly and, and that sort of thing. Because it, it, it is weird to have that number of draws in a tournament. Mm, I would have had to be paying more attention to that sort of thing because the most of the draws I noticed were between four color and yeah. deck. My draw was in the mirror, which is also a very time-consuming affair. The living in mirror is a, it's a garbage fire. It's an absolute catastrophe. I really love it, but it's really hard. Every decision is really difficult, and it takes a long time to like complete. Like a lot of the games are ten to fifteen turns, so that they're hard to wrap up. And we didn't do a good job of wrapping ours up. I read about a game in the top eight of a tournament that happened this weekend. That was so it was untimed. The game took an hour and 45 minutes to complete <laughs> because of like endurances and such. Yeah. And I was just like, this is not how I want magic to go. <laughs> it's it's tough. Yeah, I actually I didn't have any endurances in my list this weekend. I was working off of a slightly modified Sodic list and he's kind of off endurances right now, which is a, a thing that I will talk about. But we'll talk about it now. Right? Yeah, we can talk this about is it your now. living yeah. in corner. Talk about we my build about my stuff. Yeah. And, and what I chose to do. So part of my reasoning for no endurances was, you know, there's just not that much graveyard stuff going on in the format. It's kind of only the mirror that you're explicitly worried about graveyards for. Endurances have traditionally been good against Merktide, which is one of the reasons why you were fine having Endurances, because good in the mirror, and it can just like let you beat Merktide in games where they have managed to stop your cascading. Now, though, that they're a Ledger Shredder deck, I think Endurance is significantly worse against them, and it lowers just the value of having access to a bunch of Endurances by uh, a lot. And so I was not on Endurances at all this weekend. And I don't know how, if that's going to remain the way that I want to go going forward, but I do know that like I played against Merktide three times this weekend and each time I got into game states where I was like, yeah, endurance just wouldn't really do anything here. So to me, that does lower the value of the card quite a bit and I maybe changes some like fundamental dynamics in the format because that was one of the things that was helping four color be favored against Merktide is just it's got a bunch of endurances if that's not quite the breaker anymore, then I'm not sure exactly how that matchup is going to be uh, in the future. And also, I've been very impressed with Mark Tide with Ledger Shredder. I think the deck is just better now. Yeah, it is. It is just better. I do think it's still pretty four-color favored. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw that in the Syracuse results, right, where four-color took down Mark Tide in the finals. I actually got to watch that one. Sure. But not to spoil that for our later SCG Syracuse <laughs> section. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's totally fair. But I I don't I don't necessarily think it means that Merktide is favored, but if Merktide gains points in that matchup, then you know, that makes it a stronger deck. I think it gains huge points against green decks who are relying on endurance mm -hmm. to kind of like help them out a lot. Like we saw uh Amulet get Amulet's usually a bad matchup for Merktide, right? But without endurance really doing anything, they get trounced and there's like it, it hurts them. Yeah. Yeah, it's usually bad against Merktide, and it's even worse now that it doesn't have, like, now that its main tool against it is not very powerful anymore. Right, and and decks like that are just, like, trying to sneak in a few endurances here and there to help against random matchups and would play it against Merktide. Kind of, like, we'll play it anyway now, but it's certainly not half the card it used to be in that matchup. Yeah. I mean, just to, like, if you haven't really watched this play out, 
when you are a Dragon's Rage channeler focused deck, you just get these combats where you're attacking, you can't not attack, often because of the text of the card. Like, Endurance comes down, and then either you have the Unholy Heat right then, and then still lose your graveyard and get one for one best case, or you don't have the Unholy Heat right then, Endurance comes down, eats your guy eats your graveyard and you're just like in a world of trouble and that's just a ton of value for one card but ledger shredder with one plus one plus one counter is too big for endurance to eat and also doesn't rely on the graveyard so and also helps you fill your graveyard back up so it just like changes the dynamic around endurance in such a massive way that any plan that you had against murktide that was revolving around endurance i think requires some pretty real you know, re-navigation to figure out what you're supposed to be doing in that matchup. Yeah, it's nowhere near the crutch it used to be. And I, I was playing four endurances, uh, though I did not actually play against Arctide any in the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, normally I would be, if, if you told me that I was bringing Living End and I could, I got to play against Murktide three times in a tournament, um, like I would take that tournament any day. Uh, it didn't work out for me this weekend. And at least one of the matches that I lost, and maybe both of the matches that I lost, were because I did not find the fourth living end that I had. <laughs> I've, so I've often thought about putting the fourth living end in my sideboard, never bit the bullet on it. Sodex list recently have had the fourth living end in the sideboard. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll do it this time. And the idea is just to let you run more living ends into counter spells versus the counter spell decks. And, you know, my game three versus one of my Murktide opponents, I cast a living end, got it countered. And then my plan from there was on six mana, I was going to cascade twice to get a living end resolved through a counterspell. And then I just drew the living end on the like draw step of the last turn and didn't have anywhere to go from there if I had a fourth one in my deck. So I just like that immediate punishment for not having the fourth living end in the matchup that I wanted it for felt like, oh man, maybe I just really screwed up by not getting this living end. Obviously... It's just a percentage increase. It's not, but but I really would have won that match if I had the fourth living end. And I think I in my other one that I lost to Murktide, I could have played a little bit differently, a little more aggressively with my living ends in a way that maybe would have swung it. The ones that I lost to Murktide were both kind of corner casey matches where I managed to lose game one to like kind of weird draws on my part and really good draws and also really good play i mean is necessary from the murktide player but they had the good play they had the good draws and they beat me in game one and then that's a slog for living end because you got to play like two hate card games against like fluster storms and nonsense the reason the matchup is good is you have a high game one win rate and then you just need to win one post board game so the stars did not align for me in those matchups this weekend but not too bummed about my deck choice or anything like that. Yeah, and I, I think like we have a lot of good players in our area. Mm -hmm. Our, our community is pretty solid. Oh, for sure. It, it's always when you go to these like 70 people events, and you, you got to really bring your game for it. Yes. <laughs> it's not quite a Magic Online 400 person, but it's also not, you know, driving two hours into the country to play a 20 person RCQ. Boy, those Magic Online 400 person qualifiers, they're now just RCQs. They only qualify you for regionals. They don't qualify you straight to yes. the Pro Tour. It's really, really bizarre. And they're also, depending on where you live, you get a different invite, right? So you're all playing in the same tournament. But if you live in Canada, you get a different one if you win than if you yeah. live in Brazil. And they have like kind of different values and stuff depending on 
the tournament structure of your region. Yeah, I did, never thought about that until I think as Dom was saying it. Mm-hmm. And that it was just, oh, yeah, that's right. That's bizarre. <laughs> it's really odd. And I, I just it seems to me like the fairest thing would be to have either a separate track for Magic Online players to qualify or just have the qualifiers yeah, take you straight to the qualifier. Pro Tour. Yeah, yeah. It's a 400 person tournament like from everyone in the world who can play at the time like come on they're they're qualifying they've earned it yeah they have top eighting one of those is uh borderline impossible it's really difficult if it's one of those where if you lose in round three you could think hmm i might be better off dropping here yes not even round one or two just like round three (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're two one and like this might just not be worth my day 10 rounds is a lot of rounds of swiss it's a lot of rounds of swiss to cut to top eight yeah. yeah but you played the elemental glimpse deck what are your thoughts on that deck after this weekend obviously you uh five owed and drew into top eight so it seems like it was pretty decent on the day yeah so i my reason for this deck choice i think i went over last week i just like playing it <laughs> like i think it's fun like i gave up on four color not because it's bad or anything i just you know it was kind of boring yeah to me so I wanted the spice and I went to the glimpse deck because I well, one of the first ever competitive decks, not even competitive decks, like FNM decks that I really liked playing was a warp world deck. <laughs> so I love that effect. And glimpse is not nearly as good as warp world, you know, because it only affects one of the players, but it still gives me the same like I'm putting a bunch of stuff into play. If glimpse affected your opponent, that would be, yeah, uh, be the best card in modern. <laughs> it would be completely inappropriate. Yeah, absolutely. Though it is amusing watching all my opponents like read the card because I don't know if I asked you what Glimpse Tomorrow did, you could tell me it's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know what it does and you have to read the card, you're like, all right, count the number of permanents you control, then shuffle all the permanents you control for each one, put all non-auras into play. Ooh, they said non-auras. That must be important. (laughs) And then it's just like, no, it it, it stops, just puts the auras yet. in after. That's that's the only reason <laughs> it has to have that text. It's also, okay. I don't I'll have just... any auras in my deck. Oh, yeah, sorry. So I played that deck for fun, and I played the elemental version because I think it's the best one. Mm-hmm. It's the most consistent one. Like you're not playing Chancellor of the Forge or any of that garbage. You're not putting into play Ulamogs and Omnisciences or what whatever you're doing there. Right. It's just straight up. I've got Wave Sifters, Risen Reefs. Omnaths and the pitch elementals, solitude yeah. and uh, endurance, like a bunch of endurance. And the joke is, you don't really like combo kill your opponent. You cast glimpse and you can put things into play. And then if your board's good enough, you can just stop. You can mm-hmm. you're you're a mid range deck. You can like stop there. You get a million risen reef triggers or omnath triggers, and you can play additional stuff. And then pass your turn, and your opponent has to deal with your huge board. Yeah, and modern is not good at dealing with huge boards like right the decks people play in modern are just not good at that yeah because the format doesn't reward like playing a wrath of god game or something like that that's just not really a thing that you want to be doing in the format right and that's one of the reasons i was having success against four color playing this deck is because you just assembled a very large board mm-hmm. in one turn because they, they their their removal is so efficient they're so good at removing creatures but if you just put like eight permanents into play that are all really good all in one turn, yeah, they don't have a lot of tools to deal with it. They've got Supreme Verdict in their sideboard, and that's like it. 
Yeah, I mean, same theory basically behind living and being good. You put, like, four good dudes into play and one of them has hexproof and then, like, you probably can't deal with this. Like, your cards are good, but they're not that good. Uh, In addition to just, like, I'm a secret mid-range deck, you can kill people in one turn with the combo turn Mm -hmm. uh, by using your endurances to endurance yourself so that you get more copies of Glimpse. Your, your number of permanents goes up each time thanks to like Season Pyromancer and Risen Reef and Wave Sifter. Those mm-hmm. are really good cards increasing your permanent count. So you get more and more permanents and you can just kill your opponent with Omnath triggers. Yeah. Because when Omnath comes into play, it sees all the lands. So you get four damage per Omnath. Per Omnath, right. You do need new Omnaths for each four damage, but... Uh, and I only ever flipped one Omnath at a time. I never had a single game where I flipped more than one Omnath, which would have made it much simpler to resolve. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you get there in the end. I also had one incredible, incredibly lucky game where I just slaughtered an Esper control player on turn four. I, like, played a Risen Reef on turn three with backed up with Cavern, so they couldn't counterspell it. Mm-hmm. And then my opponent spends their turn three to Prismatic ending it, which is fair. And then my hand is like all lands and like one and a couple of cascade spells. And I'm like, well, Might my as hand's well. not really getting better from yeah. here. <laughs> so I just cascade without playing my land first in case I hit Omnath or something. And I cascaded into Omnath a mountain and a wave sifter. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm a genius. This is the best <laughs> three cards I could ever possibly hope to hit. And my opponent actually just died that turn. My next cascade was nuts, and they did not have another turn. Yeah, deck is definitely sweet. We saw a little bit of it this weekend just in in results. We didn't see any when we were doing commentary or anything. But I've talked about this deck before. Basically, what I feel about it is that it's a good cascade deck, Mm -hmm. but it's different than the other ones. Like I don't, I don't think it's necessarily better than Rhinos, or I do think it's better than Rhinos, but I don't think it's better than Living End. Uh, they just have different matchup spreads. Like this glimpse deck I played, the Elementals one, it's a, a cascade deck that's a little slower than the other cascade decks. You don't really want to cascade on turn three a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Like Rhinos, you just fire it off every single time, right? Because yes, it's always the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But this deck, you're cascading into variable things. Mm-hmm. So you want to have more permits in a place so you can wait. The advantage this deck has over the other like faster cascade decks is that you. You get to play the pitch. You're playing real magic cards, busted. yeah. And then you have a real, you're like a mid-range plan. You're like budget four-color control, basically. Right, right. You get to play like a pretty medium mid-range four-color deck, but like those cards are still pretty good. And you, if your opponent is playing like ways to stop you from cascading as some of their spells, then you can just kind of like play Risen Reef into Elementals and beat them that way. Yeah, Resonating for Elementals until you draw like a way to deal with the Chalice. And then by that time, your board is so big, maybe from just land drops. Because mm-hmm. I've had that happen against Four Color, especially when they like do a Chalice into a Teferi and it takes you a while to kill that stuff. Yeah. Uh, you, you just have like nine permanents in play and like six of them are lands. And you're like, all right, I guess I'll glimpse now. Yeah. And then you win. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, the main difference between that deck and Living End is like the force of neg- like force of negation is in living end and there's no force of negation in your deck so that just changes your matchup spread based on the decks that force of negation is good against and the decks that force of negation is bad against and that's like a a consideration for what you want to do when you're cascading the cavern of souls for the mid-range plan mm-hmm. is like this deck is something it has because it's like against Merktide or regular control decks if people are still playing those blue base control decks mm-hmm. 
The caverns are actually pretty annoying. Yeah. The elementals all really do a lot of good stuff when they enter play. Sure. Yeah, because everybody's putting stuff on the board. So Mm -hmm. taking a look at the SCG Syracuse results, there were eight different decks in the top eight. I know this is a top 12, but I don't really know exactly how to analyze things. But eight different decks in the top eight. We have Yawgmoth in the top 12 and the creativity deck and a Tameshi deck in ninth place as well. So a huge variety of decks in this big paper tournament, which is pretty neat to see and a little bit unexpected, but paper tournaments kind of like a little bit of anything can happen in them. It was won by just kind of the deck you would assume would win it, a four color deck, not elementals. Elementals didn't do great in this tournament. I don't think anybody day two'd with the elementals version of the four color deck, but I wouldn't read into that too, too much. Uh, second place was is it Merktide in the hands of Matt Tumovich? And uh yeah, so like the the format as we have defined it was played out in the finals, but then the rest of the top of the standings was just kind of like all of the other stuff, which is kind of funny to see. Yeah, I so the way the way the top twelve works is they cut to top twelve and the top four get a, a essentially a buy. Mm-hmm. And then the people in twelfth, eleventh, tenth, and ninth just like lost that first round. Yeah, I just don't know how to, like, if we count them as in the top eight in the I, elimination I would, rounds. I would count them. It, it was an elimination round. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, like, Tameshi, Double Yogmoth, and Creativity are all part of the top 12. Yeah. Yeah, so a huge variety of decks here, including even Golgari Food and Eldrazi Tron, both of which we got to cover matches of uh, the Golgari Food deck just kind of dismantling Four Color because Four Color player did not have access to Engineer Explosives and just died to ovens and to cookbooks and didn't really have anything to do against this big wide value board so that was pretty neat eldrazi tron kind of just saw like dismantling people by (laughs) casting spells early and often although the like specific interaction of drawing cavern of souls versus is it murktide was very very good as we saw play out although there was now that I'm looking at it, there is a single cavern in this list. So well done to Damien drawing that one versus Matt. <laughs> well, I the matches I know we covered with Eldrazi Tron weren't super representative mm-hmm. in my eyes of like how games go. Because yes. like in one of them, the four color players didn't draw third land either. Right, game. right, right. And in another one, the Merktide player just blood moved himself completely out of the game. Just could not ever compete with one island. It was brutal to watch, honestly. So I would I would not count that as indicative, but I mean, Eldrazi Tron is a... I don't want to call it like a low fail rate deck, but it kind of is because it just does its thing of medium power like every single game. Right. And it's just that that medium power doesn't really keep up with like the good draws from most of the decks in the format and, and Eldrazi John did eventually fall I believe to uh the four color deck mm-hmm. which makes sense yeah I think that is a tough one to keep up with if your opponent actually like makes their land drops and casts their expressive iterations and does their thing also chalice doesn't really do that much against the four color deck so one of your main weapons is disabled I really enjoyed watching the Gorgari food deck though that the engine Asmore deck is so nice to see, mm-hmm. especially since it's different from like the all right, got a time sieve, you know, kind of version. Yeah. Which honestly, I like more just because it ends the game way faster. But 
Daniel Walton, who's the player who played it, did play at like a reasonably fast pace, and he needs to in order to like win by uh, cauldron familiar triggers. Yes. <laughs> well, you got you got your two feasting troll kings in there. So the thing about all your creatures being bad is mm-hmm. that your opponent generally has removal to like get your feasting troll kings off the table. Yes, yeah, because they didn't have back. anything else to kill the rest of the game. Yes. And a Feast Cauldron does come back, but, like, right. it, you're already dealing damage with cats and stuff like that. Yeah, this seems to be, like, very, very close to the Doomwake lists. I think he has traditionally had, like, two Feasting Troll Kings and the finales. I mean, that's just, like, the reason to be green, basically. Goose is also very good, obviously. It is a sweet deck. It's using an engine that we've seen in like every format be very, very powerful. In modern, it hasn't really made itself known. But as long as people are like on the board, then Cauldron Familiar and Asmore is going to be good against like some number of the people that you play against. Well, you could say that the food deck took an L already in the banning of Oko as it dominated the format for a while there. Sure, but that... I don't think that this deck would have been playable if Oko were still running around. No, it's just like the food the food decks in Modern evolved in a, a different branch and yes. it had to be trimmed. Right, right, right. And they turned into cat oven cookbook decks. Yeah, the full circle. Yes. Um, if we look at kind of the win rates of the decks from this tournament, which we have because this tournament was run on Melee, the highest win rate Overall in the tournament was actually Yogmoth at 55%, and Amulet was in second place at around 53, and then Rhinos at around 52. And I don't know exactly what sample size things are going on here or whatever, but those were all pretty good picks for this tournament. Yogmoth, I'm kind of interested in. I think that Merktide was a little underrepresented in this tournament, or I don't know if it just like wasn't brought by as many players who had the experience to really pilot it at at its maximum capacity or what, but I am kind of surprised by the limited number of successful Merktide decks in this tournament, because I just like have been nothing but impressed by that deck when I've actually seen it recently. Uh, Yeah, I I do agree that it was underplayed based on the deck lists I'm seeing here, because that is, I, I know, one of the more popular decks just as... A player standpoint to play it's a, a blue red like yeah. mid-range control deck yeah and people love those like have you tried advocating this boner twin switch a band forever on twitter <laughs> everyone comes out to like harass you you also get to cast expressive iteration which is really fun it feels really good you feel so smart because your spell does way more than it should for two mana I did watch a lot of expressive iterations this weekend, like look at three cards that just could never be cast. And I'm like, bet you don't feel so smart. Yeah, now. that's worse, but that doesn't actually happen that much. Yeah, I, it just <laughs> this weekend of when I was watching it happened way too much. <laughs> but yeah, uh, expressive iterations, obviously a fantastic card. It's been banned within the last month. So <laughs> <laughs> we do also have the traditional one burn deck in the top eight of this tournament. So that's important. Yeah, one to burn note. deck, one amulet deck. Yeah, one burn deck, one amulet deck. They never quite go away. I mean, but amulet was a good choice for this weekend. And it was, we got it on coverage. It was a little tough sometimes to understand what was going on, given that like all of the lands got fancy versions that you're allowed to play if you want and turn your battlefield into absolute chaos. But we we kept up. We figured out what was going on. 
It's it's pretty cool when all of the lands have super fancy versions and then just like a crumbling vestige at play. Yes. Like a common from <laughs> Battles of the Car or whatever. Yeah, we don't we don't get a fancy version of this one. We do get a black and white version of Slayer's Stronghold, which was figuring that one out for the first time did take a little bit of effort. Yeah, normally I expect my red white lands not to be black. <laughs> right. I, I don't really have a problem with Amulet. I think it is in the spot it usually is, which is like kind of underpowered, really, really bad against Mark Tide. But they, if you know how to play it and you like it, you should do so. Yeah, seems OK, but boy, that Amulet matchup just seems especially after they bring in Blood Moons, which to be honest, I and not that I have been like going hard on Merktide or anything, and I'm sure there are good uses for it, but I don't really know what exactly what purpose Blood Moon is serving in this format. But if you got him and you bring him in against Amulet in your like put pressure on you, and also I have counter spells deck, that is like a terrifying set of cards. Also, Unholy Heat is uh, disgusting in that matchup. Yeah, I'm not sure. There's a lot of amulet players online, so it might actually just be an amulet sideboard card. Okay. Because you are in blue and red. Like, you're not in, like, Grixis. You don't have, like, the huge wealth of sideboard options that you want to play, like, all one-ofs for. Yeah. So it's not a huge cost to just put a couple of blood moons in your sideboard or a blood moon and a max of the moon. Yeah, I wonder if it's part of your, like, hammer plan or something. Yeah, possible. It's really good at shutting off all the Urzasaga nonsense. Yeah. And turn off Inkmoth Nexus and just, like make your opponent's life difficult also all of the hammer decks are like pretty much always going to be blue white now and i think you can actually like mess their mana up pretty badly potentially with a blood moon so yeah i think they would usually try to fetch out just basic planes and give up on spell piercing you too much when they know blood moon's a thing but yeah but yeah. i think that's good for you if they're doing that oh, yeah and sure. also like they probably have to give up on casting pure seal paladin a lot of the time so you know i mean do you want to talk about the modern challenge do you want to talk about saturday or sunday well i think that it is very interesting to talk about sunday because <laughs> we somehow are seeing four hammer decks in the top eight of the sunday yeah, all challenge. lined up in a row yes it's beautiful second through fifth Joao Andrade choosing to bring mono white, but being like kind of the only person I've seen making that choice. I guess the Crusher Bot build here is also mono white. I guess that's about the same list, but blue white has been much more popular and I've seen that just generally a lot more. The ability to bring in Lavinia's, have some number of spell pierces between the sideboard and the main deck. Uh, that has seemed to be a lot more common to me and no, has looked to be a a solid way of building the deck yeah i think the teferis too in the sideboard are worth something sure because honestly blacksmith skill does like a pretty good spell pierce impersonation for mm -hmm. what you needed to do a lot of the time mm -hmm. and sometimes it's just better than spell pierce yes i would say that the main use case of spell pierce above blacksmith skill is entirely against the cascade decks which are hard for you and i think that that, that is just like a card that makes a giant difference in that match in those matchups yeah which is i think why you see whenever you look at the mono white decks there's like four three or four Dranith magistrates in their sideboard yeah because they know that we that's a weakness it's a clear weakness right and you get to upgrade Dranith magistrate to lavinia which is a lot better because you can also bring it in against the solitude decks if you want mm -hmm. and it's really good against the elementals yeah so 
But, you know, mana is better in a mono white deck. You are stretching a little bit and probably making yourself more vulnerable to a Blood Moon, which I think is an effective thing to do against this type of deck. So certainly trade-offs there. Uh, what do you think about Hammer and Modern in general? Like, I, I think it's still a great deck, but it has not the longevity and power that it did when it Luris was legal. Eventually. Yeah, I think it is a completely fine deck in the format. I think if your play skill with Hammer is high, like this is a deck that you know how to play, I don't have any problem with bringing it to one of these tournaments. I think you can take, I think you can absolutely take down an RCQ with Hammer Time. The traditional problem for it is that four color with all of his elementals can give can give you a really really tough time but i think careful play knowing the matchup understanding how good your blacksmith skills in particular are in that sort of matchup i i think you can be okay we watched a matchup of it play out on camera and kevin just kind of like was able to leverage the efficiency of his spells against an opponent with a slightly awkward draw especially if your opponent is on like Eladomri's call and stuff you can just sort of like make their mana make their cards be too expensive to be good against you and probably you can't get the matchup to a a place where you want to play against four color but as long as you get it to a place where like you understand what the matchup is about and then i think that this deck is a fine choice and keep in mind, Hammer is one of those decks with the nut draw, right? You can just kill your opponent sometimes. Right. There's not a lot they can do about it. And that right. is certainly a thing to look for in a deck. And like if they're leaning on Fury to win like a medium length game against you and you're just like, I will equip this Hammer to this Ink Moth Nexus and attack you, then you just win. If their hand is like Prismatic Ending, Fury, Omnath or whatever, you just win. Big fan of Hammer. I don't have a huge knowledge base to draw from whether like blue white is better than white or whatever mm -hmm. I, I don't really think you'd go wrong with either to be honest yeah I, I think it is just determine what you're gonna play against and then how much you want the spell pierces and that's the main question is how much you want the spell pierces and then go from there i guess because like spell pierces plus to fairies that is like extra tools against the cascade decks how much do you want to have against those decks how much are you expecting and if you are expecting a ton of cascade then probably play something else because i think all of those matchups are a little bit tough for the hammer decks okay so i'm, I'm curious since you brought it up what would you play if you just expected to play against like rhinos and living in a lot mm. or glimpse since that's apparently getting more popular eldrazi tron eldrazi tron <laughs> yeah i mean you could play a chalice deck i i would personally not choose to play eldrazi tron probably I think you can just like play a four color deck that is like leaning towards those matchups, you know, having your chalices in your sideboard, like a four color deck with chalices in the sideboard is like a good choice for that expected meta, right? I'm not sure if there's a better choice, but that's the thing that I don't want to play against as a living end player. And I'm sure that that's a thing that the Rhinos deck doesn't want to play against either. Okay, that's fair. What do you think about the Archon deck that got first place in the Sunday Challenge? I think it's a good deck. It's it's kind of been coming up yeah, quietly in the modern results. This is a Indomitable Creativity deck with, you know, all Prismari Command, Fable the Mirror Breaker, all that kind of stuff. Uh, hard Evidence, one of CCR's favorite cards ever printed. Love that. Love, love the crab. And, and it just gets Archon of Cruelty into play. That's like, or multiple Archons of Cruelty. Ideally, like two Archons. Yes. Just cruel ultimatum them. Because it was determined that, you know, 
Indomitable Creativity and Demercool is all well and good, but it doesn't really have the punch that Archon of, Cre- Archon of Cruelty does. Yeah, it's funny. If you look at the modern 5k results, there is a creativity deck in there that did well. I think like made top eight and they're on the like old version with like... With Safari? With like, no, they're they're on like the the old creature package with like two big white creatures and an emrakul as their indomitable creativity dudes but i do think that the archon just four archons is just a better package i think you win the vast majority of games that you put an archon or two archons into play in and i think that ultimately it it plays out better for you and you can even hard cast the archons too like the games get grindy you have a blood crypt and a Zeotaurus Proving Ground. Yeah. That'll, that'll cast Archon for you. And you also have uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which in treasures. some games can just give you two treasures, and that, that gets you like very close. But yeah, I like the way that this deck is built now. I like that it is putting these kind of like this mid-range pressure on just by like putting a Ren and Six into play, which also helps you to ultimately cast an Archon of Cruelty if you keep Ren and Sixing. And Fable is just a card that I'm a big fan of. And I think this deck plays out really well and is doing some super dangerous things. I think the best thing this deck did was drop Teferi. Because mm. uh, all these decks in the past were just playing Teferi, Time Raveler, and Ren and Six. And the mana was hurtful. Yes. But dropping it to just three colors plus the black for Archon, mm-hmm. which is not really a splash. Because no. <laughs> uh, you're not expected to play Archon on turn three. And just like playing Explore makes your deck a lot smoother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the Explore lets you make your like terrifying critical turn the kind of the critical turn of the format, right? Like Cascade spells cost three mana. Exploring into Indomitable Creativity, you can do that on turn three. And so you're setting yourself up to be playing at the speed of the format. And then you can obviously side out your explorers when that's not a thing you care about that much or you just need more interaction. And I, yeah, I just like the way that this deck looks now. Yeah, I, I do too. I might put it together if I can find copies of Archon of Cruelty around and then just kind of like try it out. Yeah, I think that is fine. I should order some Archons. That just seems like a fine card that's going to be like the reanimator target of choice in modern for the foreseeable future, so. Yeah, for a very long time. Yeah, I mean. Non-legendary, does a lot of stuff. I Like, very unlikely that you come up with a better version of this like creature that I put into play and I'm like very favored to win the game from here. I'm not sure what you can do to improve on Archon of Cruelty and be reasonable. I would also be scared in Modern Horizons 3 or 4 whenever they print a second copy of Persist where you can actually play like more than four of that card. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of griefing going on in the format after that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I might also pick up Archons. I haven't really decided yet. Yeah. That's good, though. I want to play it. Yes, I, I definitely want to give this one a shot because it's just doing a thing that I am pretty into in this format and just to go back to the archons like the fact that it makes them sacrifice a planeswalker if they don't have a creature in play there's just like a lot and and this is a format where you put stuff on the board it's not always creatures but you're usually putting either creatures or planeswalkers on the board and so archon coming down and edicting a ren and six or a teferi or something like that as the first thing that it does and then you just start pulling way ahead and yeah maybe they kill the archon at some point before you kill them but you're just going to be able to creativity for more archons because of the advantage that you got from the first one which is not the case with some of the other things that you could put into play. 
yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of arcana culty you put that thing into play once and you know it's <laughs> what you want to be doing yes absolutely I, I remember playing spike's old esper reanimator deck that was like had mole drifters in it and you know the best thing to put in play was obviously mole drifter but if you couldn't get there <laughs> arcana culty was very nice yeah the only thing here that is kind of annoying is you only have access to like four indomitable creativities like you don't have a reanimator backup or anything like that you do have the one transmogrify that some people have mocked and nasif has said i would play too so you know jury's out on that one for what it's worth i'm more in the nasif game i i think i i think i tend to agree because i've played creativity decks in multiple formats and one of the really annoying things is like i'm 30 cards into my deck and i have not found a creativity yet and i like it's just so frustrating when that happens and you don't feel like you can do that much i was playing them in non-modern formats so i didn't have access to like ren and six to bridge me so that like i'm grinding and grinding and grinding but also i'm like getting this ren and six up towards ultimate uh like that hasn't been the case in those formats so probably plays out a little bit differently there but that is one frustrating thing that can happen with decks like these so just just be aware of that uh this is also the challenge that had a bunch of glimpse combo decks yes got sixth and 17th and uh, some other number down here Mm -hmm. Uh, 22nd which is a lot for it looks like it's kind of supplanting rhinos as the other cascade deck based on this challenge Mm -hmm. like people are giving it a lot more respect and i hope to see people actually changing the deck list at some point like i think that would be cool if people you know change the sideboard cards and stuff like that is this just like this the exact same list for each one no people change the sideboard cards but like i haven't seen anything it's always the same pool of like six sideboard cards yeah I mean, like, to be instance, fair, it is a cascade deck. So here, no, 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 I get it. <laughs> but I like I played Mystical Dispute mm-hmm. in the tournament we played in, and I, every every match I would go and be like, "Is this the one I want Mystical Dispute in?" My opponent's got blue cards, and every time I was like, "Nah, not really." I kind of sucks. I've noticed that too. Actually, I am super low on Mystical Dispute right now, and I I don't know if I can explain it exactly. But some combination of I know that some of the counter spells my opponents are bringing in are our fluster storms and also like the teferi count is a little lower these days than it has been in the past and i don't know exactly what it is but mystical dispute has just not felt that good to me not as good as it has in the past and this is a the glimpse deck can play just play teferi like that that, deck, mm-hmm. that card is way better than mystical dispute in my experience sure. in this deck uh not the least that you can do like the crazy things where you glimpse into a teferi with a shardless agent then pick up the shardless agent <laughs> and cast it with your lands that you got off again. of the yeah <laughs> uh that uh, so i wanted to actually drop all of the mystical disputes from my list and just play a fourth to fairy and something else because mm-hmm. mystical disputes not doing it for me and these lists that i see in the challenge play zero to fairies at all which was one of the better cards for me in the weekend yeah i think mystical dispute is better than it has been in the past if you're a deck that cares about their turn two ledger shredder and like wants to play a game where you're like killing their ledger shredder because it's the best mystical dispute is when they're playing a sorcery speed blue spell and you just get to get it instead of and that's just a huge tempo advantage a lot of the time when you're playing a cascade deck 
you just like want your opponent to play Ledger Shredder and you never have to do anything about it. You want them to play the two mana creature and then hopefully the game is over in a turn or two and they didn't get to get their Ledger Shredder value. So it's not this, you know, the thing that's making Mystical Dispute good for some decks is not making it good for Cascade decks. Yeah, exactly. I also liked Subtlety on the weekend. I played four of those in my sideboard and they were very good too. Yeah. Just like as a tempo counterspell that could get rid of even stuff like Omnath for a turn yeah. was nice. I played two main deck in, you know, Living End generally has like two flex slots and I played them in my flex slots and I played a third in my sideboard. The consideration for Living End is a little different because it's specifically like if my opponent plays Endurance, the best card I can have is Subtlety, but it was very good at that job and it also was just a good card generally. So I, I'm high on subtlety right now. Keeps the fairy off the table for a turn too, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But you're under you're under the clock. You got a cascade yeah. right then. Moral of the story is that uh cascade decks are good. Really good. They're really good. Just in general. <laughs> yeah. I don't forget about them. I think if you you know, if you're you have like a philosophy of like, I have a couple of decks that I know how to play in modern and I'm going to try to like pick the one in my bandolier that's like the best one for this weekend. I think you have to have a cascade deck in your bandolier or you're not prepared for playing the format. Pulling out the word bandolier. Mm-hmm. We're banditos. OK, we're ra- <laughs> we're going and we're raiding magic tournaments. With the decks in our bandolier. Yes, exactly. And your quiver. No, no, no. Bandolier was great. I didn't I didn't want to like <laughs> I just needed to call it out. I didn't actually have a problem with it. <laughs> okay, good. That's that's fair. That's reasonable. And you're still high on Season Pyromancer over Fable in your glimpse deck, right? I am, but I think that consideration is way more up for debate when you want access to a bunch of cavern of souls. Mm. Like if you want a bunch I only played two. If you want a bunch of Cavern of Souls, like you're expecting just a million Merktide decks, mm-hmm. and you want to play a mid-range game, then the Cavern of Souls Fable of Mirrorbreaker makes a lot more sense. I would still like to test out Pyromancer in that slot uh, at, with fewer caverns and see how the matchup feels, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I definitely think that's a consideration you can think of if that's something you're concerned about. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. The center, the like mid range bridge, Fable of the Mirror Ricker is just not a good card in this deck. Like it, it produces permanence and gives you a mana up jump, which is cool. But you know, you have to consume the permanent to use the mana. Mm-hmm. And Pyromancer is just a good bridge mid range card that also works with Risen Reef when you are comboing off mm-hmm. or just like have a one into like a, a Risen Reef into a Pyromancer. Yeah, because that happens sometimes. They don't always have removal for Risen Reef. And sometimes, if you're playing a derpy mid-range game, you can exile your Pyromancer from your graveyard when you have a Risen Reef in play. Probably doesn't. Yeah, I've never done actually that, happen but... very often at all. But I, I was thinking about that in the tournament. Like, have I missed an opportunity to exile a season? It's Pyromancer? so much mana. It's an unbelievable like, amount of mana. There's no way that's the case. <laughs> Maybe you do it off an Omnath trigger at some point or something like that, but. It's like yeah, that's probably the most likely time that I do it. Pretty incidental to winning the game after that. So Tron did win our RCQ, and we see a little, a little bit of mono green Tron popping up in a top sixteen here or there. Never really goes away for good. Yeah, there's one good reason to play this deck. It's very good against like mid range. Yeah, <laughs> four colors mid range deck. Yes, pretty bad against most of the cascading decks and also like 
medium to bad against Merktide. So I think there's a lot of problems in the format for this deck. I, I agree. Like, I, I don't think... I, I would never blame someone for taking Mono Green Drone to a tournament. Sure. I think there is almost always a better deck you can play instead. Mm -hmm. But it's not like a terrible choice. Like, it does have its place in the format. Yeah. And if you just, like, play against four color or whether it's the elementals version or the counter spell version doesn't really matter that much if you just play against four color in like half of your matches in a tournament and you brought tron like you're in a good spot we did not see any valakut which you know will will gave the warning don't play this in actual modern it's only for specific purposes and then i saw on twitter multiple people like registering Valica in tournaments and i don't think it really paid off for anybody and not doing so well because yes. mark tried regions in the format <laughs> you're gonna play against it like in the saturday challenge it was three of the decks in the top eight mm -hmm. and then two other decks in the top eight are death shadow which <laughs> while not Merktide, play very similarly against Valica. yeah although Valica's a little better against death shadow i think that that matchup tends to even out pretty well yeah but it's I wouldn't want to run Valica into like a room full of blue permissive decks kind of deal. Yeah, it's not a fun day for you. Also, quite a bit of burn in this uh, Saturday challenge. Burn is kind of like a Tron to me, mm -hmm. except for baseline much better. Like you're <laughs> a proactive deck that puts your opponent on like a really good clock. And the four color matchup's interesting because burn's like pretty good against four color. But if they get to turn five, you lose. Yes. Which is true for, you know, some burn matchups but against four color it seems like every single game if you don't kill them on turn five you lose the game what you get to do is they hit turn five they tap four lands and they play omnath and you get to go 80 cards by the way and then they get to play a fetch land past the turn fetch and then you lose so you know it's not that satisfying but at least you get to go 80 cards by the way as you get like seven life out of the game yeah it feels pretty nice i guess <laughs> mostly you just like a really good I, I think burn is pretty good against the cascade decks mm -hmm. in my experience there's just like roiling vortex is so annoying yes uh, it just hurts so much <laughs> yeah uh do not over sideboard because you're already like pretty good against like all of the cascade decks bringing a roiling vortex is good because it's really just a burn spell but don't don't get fancy and bring in any other stuff you don't need to bring in like I don't know, any hate cards that you've got, you don't need to bring in any removal spells. You don't need to bring in, uh, like... Like, you're not you're not boarding a path against Rhinos. It's just not important. Right. It doesn't matter. Just kill them. Like, don't reduce your, like, damage per card ratio in your deck. Yeah, Burn is good against these Cascade decks because it puts out a lot of damage and they can't do anything in the first couple turns of the game, except for set up, I guess, if you're living in. It, it's the one deck in the format that makes, like, the third turn late in the game as opposed to all of the other decks which understand turn three is like early in the game right and burn is like all right you're like eight now so good luck <laughs> hope this cascade spell kills me on the spot or you are in trouble yeah so Dex list that i just I, I copied this from his list for for this week is i just had three ley lines of sanctity in my sideboard because i was like add an rcq in just at a game store i'm gonna play against burn right and i don't have a ton of great plans against it except for drawing a ley line so i played against burn i didn't even have the ley line backup i just hoped my opponent was just not going to be very competent 
and they boarded a path to exile against me. So uh, you know, good job, Lee. Yeah. I mean, you are an Omnath deck, but I don't believe that that's the right, you know, like you, you have a plan against them that doesn't require you to have ley lines, but that does happen sometimes. Like not everybody I, knows the all the matchups. The matchup is still very bad. Yeah. Omnath excluded because you like, again, your Cascade deck, you don't do anything for the first couple turns. Right. So I would often like pull the trigger on turn three. Heaven for the heaven Eidolon, and I just take four off the bat, but <laughs> and, and then just pray that I uh, went into Omnath and a lands. Like yeah. that's it. Yeah, just roll on the dice. To see if my faith in the Lord is stronger than their dross. This sideboard is also reminding me of the existence of Sanctifier Envec, which is another card that I think gets dinged pretty heavily by the existence of Ledger Shredder. I don't think you're supposed to sideboard this card in against Murktide anymore, and then that means I think a lot of them are supposed to get cut from sideboards. Yeah, it, it would be really just a living end measure, and I think there's just better stuff for that. But it doesn't do anything against living end. Oh, because they're all blue cards now. Yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, it's like it's a graveyard deck. It's like a living Grixis Shadow thing or something like that. I just can't think uh, of another yeah. deck you'd want it against, and so I don't believe it's appropriate to be playing these right now. Yeah, I don't. I actually haven't seen a Sanctifier back in so long. I just blank on the text of the card yeah i mean burn doesn't have a lot of good sideboard options and generally you don't need a side right generally you shouldn't <laughs> be bringing in very many cards like, honestly you've one deflecting palm some smashing smithereens and some rolling vortexes you could just like register your like 10 card sideboard yeah i mean that was always the joke right was like most most of the time you would do better by just not sideboarding with burn i i especially remember collins's top eight with us 14 card burn sideboard and just didn't realize there was a card Did, missing didn't until matter you brought all. it up on the podcast because <laughs> why would it why would it and then the interminable debate of whether luris was worth it or not well that 15 sideboard card isn't really doing anything anyways so just throw it in there make your opponent think you're a deck that you aren't you know yeah well i don't know what else should we talk about all right a four color do you have any strong feelings opinions or knowledge about control versus elementals at this time uh i mean control certainly seemed to do better than elementals over this weekend i i mean my understanding is mostly like the elementals version of the deck exists because it gives you a couple of percentage points in the mirror and is mostly similar but very slightly worse against like most of the decks in the format like that's my understanding of the elementals deck i don't know if that's not quite right but that has seemed to be the case to me and this format doesn't look heavy enough on four color to justify doing it that way and i think i would rather have expressive iteration and particularly counterspell because there's a lot of matchups that counterspell is a necessary card in for this deck yeah i i agree with that i think elementals is a worse choice if you're not arms racing to try and beat the mirror mm. and i think there's a lot more variety than there was like a month ago just for whatever reason uh, that it's worth picking up the, the control version rather mm -hmm. than the you know elementals version yeah and i also think that i have liked the traverse version i was a little about more to ask you that. call yeah not actually because of the card traverse i think that's mostly a wash mm -hmm. Uh, it's actually because of Unholy Heat. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, yeah. It's just sense. a more powerful removal spell. And you get it like tricks you into playing Mistress Bobble and Dress Down, which are already good cards anyway. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I liked Daryl's list. I don't know if anybody really picked it up and did anything with it this weekend, but Daryl Ayers posted a list that was like very all in on the delirium plan playing like three dress downs the bobbles the heats four traverses i just like it because of how all in it is and how much it commits to that concept but also you know like fundamentally hey i'm doing like graveyardy stuff to make my cards powerful and you can't ever afford to attack my graveyard because this is not a matchup where you're like you're able to do that you'll just lose to elementals if you do anything like that so you get like a lot of the benefit of the power of those cards the one thing that is a little bit obnoxious about being traverse over eladomri's call is when you need one of your pitch elementals like on Talk turn two <laughs> uh and i think that this format can put you in that bind. Uh, a lot of the decks in the format can put you in the, you need Fury now, you need Solitude now, you need Endurance now. And I think it's much harder to traverse that early than to just pay two mana for Eladomri's call. Yeah, especially since you're like an 80-card deck and your Abundant Growths do not go to the graveyard, even though they're enchantments. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you just like have to draw a Vicious Bubble early or have one of your Planeswalkers die, and it just like doesn't really ever work out like that. Yeah. Traverse is really more of a late game Eladomri's call than anything else. If you are, if you pick up the Delirium version of the deck and you're starting to play it, one of the main tricks, and I think a huge thing you have to be doing for percentage points so you're not playing the deck properly, is putting Abundant Growth on fetch lands and then fetching it away when that matters. But yeah, I, I think that the traverse version of the deck is pretty cool and i am a fan of it we did see a lot of maybe not a lot of but we did see a couple of versions of the deck that were playing like a couple copies of ephemerate which you know has gone in and out as the seasons pass (laughs) yeah and generally i have felt more like the versions that are just like good cards and i'm playing good cards on curve for the entire game until you're ground into dust has been a more successful strategy but i think ephemerate it particularly just provides a level of over the top power when somebody is grinding as hard as you when you're playing the mirror or something like that and anytime somebody has to aim a removal spell at your in play fury and then you get to ephemerate it you are or you're on math which is yes happens a lot more because i'm does present that like I really don't want you to have three times as much mana as me every turn kind of deal. <laughs> yeah. So I think like the when you're playing mirrors and you're playing against like unholy heat decks, like that can be just a backbreaking thing to have access to a couple copies of. I've also want to point out that a lot of these lists have cut significantly on the card Fury mm. by now. Like they're not just jamming a bunch of copies of Fury anymore because the format's kind of evolved to the point where Oh Jesus! Fear card really messes us up. I guess we just, just can't play, play these a decks different anymore. Deck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so usually these four color decks only play like one or two Furies now. Yeah, but that may be one of the reasons that we saw four Hammer Time decks in the top eight of the Sunday Challenge because Fury does a really good job of, like, obviously they're I'm going to kill you with this hammer. Solitude is the way that you stop that. But they're like, I'm going to accumulate some resources so then my cards are good and draw <laughs> but cards off. But giver of runes and stolen forgements that get to play a plan is really bad. Again, yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know what else you want to talk about. Are there upcoming modern stuff that you would, you know, go to recommend? Are you just going to run Living Ben back forever? Uh, I mean, I'm probably not going to run it back forever. I really need to just like sit down and give Merktide a real shot, like try to get good with Merktide. I think that deck is incredible now honestly 
and I would like to become more competent with it. And I want to really explore the heights that Ledger Shredder can take me to in every format in Magic the Gathering. So I want to want to give that one a good shot. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you'd enjoy that. I do. I know you do enjoy your Is It decks. I do love casting expressive iteration in particular. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how I feel. I kind of still have not felt differently about modern since the modern rant episode. Sure. Though it's nice that people are playing less and less four color, so mm-hmm. it's not as relevant. I'm just going to keep playing this Glyps deck until I get bored with it. Maybe I'll pick up the creativity deck and see how frustrated I get with Dwarven Mine again. <laughs> it It is a challenge playing Dwarven Mine in your deck. There's just a level of like, oh, good lord, when you look at your lands in your four Dwarven Mine deck. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> but hopefully Archon of Cruelty will make that all worth it. I, I think it does. I I am a big fan of this deck. I mean, any anytime you can play four hard evidences when one of the best decks in the format, actually multiple of the deck best decks in the format, because there's there's good versions of four color that run Raghavan too. But there's a fair number of Raghavans running around in this format. And when your opponent can go Raghavan and you can go hard evidence, that's a good feeling. You know, I also don't mind the uh, the the grinding breach deck. Sure. Just, I, I haven't brought that one up in a while because I just haven't played it in a while. Yeah. But I think that deck is also improved by Ledger Shredder. It has a lot more turn to uh, here's a two-spell Ledger Shredder mm. than like Merktide does because you also play Mox Amber in sure. that deck. So you just like naturally have a larger occurrences of large Ledger Shredders. And it makes really good use of the looting in that deck. Yes, really good use of the looting. I, I just think that combos... I, I think it's a good deck, but I'm still uneasy about the like costs of mana mm-hmm. and especially some of the like matchups like against Merktide can be a little rough. Yeah, you can end up with a lot of two mana spells in your hand. But yeah, Alan was crushing with it this weekend. It looked very good when he was playing it. I definitely do think that, especially when people are preparing for these like onboard fights really hard and just like Solitude is the most important card in the format, etc., etc., then your grinding station breach combo deck can it's because underworld breach is just so it's yeah. just a messed up card. it's the it only really delve is. spell that we're allowed to play in the format right like that's what that is is like it's the dig through time that you're allowed to play in modern like it'll, it'll be busted at some point i'm on record with this i'll keep being on record with this the card is just a nightmare waiting to happen just a couple printing the way it got banned in legacy like two weeks in it got banned in pioneer like we're, modern is just like uh, on a tightrope with that card and probably if opal were legal then it, you know it would have been a disaster oh, it would be gone so yeah like it, it, any random free mana that just pops up for that card yep. or really free ways to turn the graveyard it, it's a problem yeah it turns out Lion's Eye Diamond and Legacy was both of those things at once. Like, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Lion's Eye Diamond still safely legal in Legacy, though. Really important to keep that reserve list card around. Yep. I mean, I'm I'm confident that Underworld Breach would continue to be broken in Legacy without access to Lion's Eye Diamond, though. So definitely the right ban for that format. <laughs> yeah, you, you do have to work for Underworld Breach to be good, but like not that much. I remember suggesting to alan actually that he play underworld breach in the prowess deck mm-hmm. uh, a, a long time ago like just as a sideboard value card yeah, yeah just as like a sideboard value card because it's got to be put in snapcaster major right that card sucks yeah this is a prowess and he's like okay and now people are just doing that in prowess like it's common mm-hmm. 
yeah, Karda's really, really powerful and probably can't go too wrong by leaning into it and taking that to an RCQ. I, I, I would not be mad at you for making that choice. I do think it's also like that grinding station deck is a little complex. Like you do really have to be on top of stuff because your cards are not that powerful. Absolutely. And like knowing even just the 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 little like when my grinding station untaps things and stuff like that and just like making sure to get your untaps in and that sort of thing. Just like know all your triggers, know how your cards work together. The untap off the Ragavan treasure is my my personal favorite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, no, I, I really appreciated a story that Alan told me where, you know, a lot of his wins were not from doing the combo. A lot of his wins were from, like, using the creatures to distract and then your opponent, or using the combo to distract and the creatures actually managed to get there, which, with the amount of damage a Ledger Shredder can do is a little more realistic these days, probably. But yes, his, like, one of his games that he won by making the treasure to give him enough grinding station triggers to mill himself three times, which allowed him to lightning bolt his nine life opponent three times off of an underworld breach. Uh, yeah, I appreciated that. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. I'm not going to pick it up as long as like I can play the glimpse deck, though, I think. Omneth is, <laughs> unless I get super hated out, but yeah, Omneth is just so good. I just can't quit you. I get it. Have you? I mean, that card draws cards. It refunds itself. It gives you a million life, and all it asks is that you play a land and four colors. <laughs> yeah, but that's a given. And I'm playing fetch lands in modern. <laughs> that's not even an ask. It's like Death Shadow, but you have to play Thoughtseize. All right, sure, I'll take that. <laughs> Twist my arm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if Omnath was black instead of like red or something, maybe it'd be Ooh, more yeah. of a challenge. But you know, the Naya plus blue easy pretty easy, easy those are the good modern colors yeah <laughs> cool well thanks everybody so much for listening we really really appreciate your time oh yeah i don't really give the spiel anymore that's what i had decided uh if if you want to do one thing so I, i'm just gonna rather than you know given the whole boring uh wrap-up thing at the end of the episode that you know everybody tunes out of because i would just gonna give one request if you want to help the podcast out if you just when you see that we post it on twitter just like give it a like or reply to it or uh retweet or quote tweet or anything like that just help us get the podcast out to as many people as possible we'd appreciate it or you know don't do that you don't have to go out of your way listening to the podcast yeah, listening is very good is very good and we just appreciate you spending time with us so thank you but if you want to go a little bit further we would also appreciate that spending time with us and all of chris's animals that have to get edited out of the podcast <laughs> <Yes>. but are here <laughs> yeah y'all probably aren't aware of the animal situations and the doorbell ringing and my mailbox getting knocked down and all those sorts of things it, it's really whole it's a whole situation it's a zoo back here <laughs> <laughs> all right thank y'all so much for listening have a great week bye <laughs>